Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to a very familiar passage in Matthew chapter 15. Our scripture text will come from verses 22 through 33. You know, this passage of scripture is one that we're all very, very familiar with. And there's been many great sermons preached on the time when Peter got out of the boat and walked on the Sea of Galilee. But I think today we're going to have a little bit of a different angle, perhaps one you've never heard before. I hope that you enjoy today's message. It's entitled, Don't Jump Ship. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to stand here in just a moment and read our scripture text. Then we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to show just a few slides from the most recent trip, share with you just a few of the high points of the week, and then we'll also show some scenes which will give you the setting for what we'll be preaching about this morning. Hope you've had a good week and we do appreciate your prayers. We'll begin reading in verse 22 and we will finish this morning in verse 33. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night... Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now that would have been the darkest part of the night. Watches were divided into three-hour shifts. The evening shifts began at 6 p.m. and ended at 6 a.m. So that 12 hours, you'd have four different watches. So this would have been somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. that Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Mind you, they'd been out there for some period of time. They had began rowing probably in the neighborhood of uh, 7 or 8 p.m. And it's a trip that shouldn't have taken but about an hour. However, they ran into contrary winds. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And simply Jesus, excuse me, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. We'll have to work our way through this. I'd like to show you just a couple of these slides. Won't take long. But we'll see how things go. We did have a a wonderful trip. Of course, it's tiring to get there. 
And uh, one of the best things that happened during the trip, well, I'll get to that in a moment. This was our first night uh, there in Tel Aviv. We'd gotten in, and we went and checked into our hotel, and we went and visited a little house church. This is a Messianic congregation. These are Russian Jews. And you see here, here's our buddy Itamar. Those of you, Itamar has been in our church before. Itamar has the best testimony of anybody in the world. First time I met Itamar, we were in the garden tomb. And it was just the first time I'd been to Israel. And I was with five other preachers. And I said, let's sit down, guys, and visit for a minute. Because I wanted to find out where he was spiritually. And I said, let's share our testimonies. And we began sharing our testimonies. And we got around to this little Jew. And I thought I was going to find out about him. And I did. Turns out he had gotten saved the year before at the garden tomb. Now, it doesn't get any better than that. Brother Sharp had the privilege of leading Itamar to the Lord. And while I was there, we had the privilege of baptizing him in the Sea of Galilee. We held him under and tried to, tried to quote from memory the book of Revelation. <laughs> this is Brother Sharp. He's an evangelist, a wonderful preachers, preachers. Uh, these guys here are preachers. And these are all some of the, the Messianic Russian Jews. It's Brother Ed Bragg preaching. Uh, <laughs> The verses I want to read are verses 19 through 22. And when he had received me, he was strengthened. Mm-hmm. Don't me read the whole verse and then go back to it or read the whole thing. I'll just read one verse and stop. Okay. And when he had received me, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now you think I preach a long time. Imagine if I had to, everything I said, I had an interpreter repeat after me. But anyway, this is, go ahead and hit the video of the closing hymn. No, not that one. Do we have another one? Uh, let's see. Where? No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope, maybe we don't have it on here. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Go down. We had a closing hymn of them singing a, a Jewish song saying, uh, 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 Peace to you, and it's wonderful hearing it in the Hebrew. And by the way, they've got a little jive in that, in that good Jewish music. It's, it's, it's really a lot of fun. Go ahead and go past this one. This is Brother Bragg preaching. This was the video where they were singing there at the conclusion. A lot of life to the service. Very small congregations. You can see this house church, maybe uh, seven or eight Christians there in the facility other than the preachers that were there. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This was a wonderful day. Early on, we had to, uh, we were up. Damascus. That's okay. We're up visiting the Mount of Beatitudes. They have built a church up here, but this is the Mount of Beatitudes. This is some of our preachers uh, that were here with us. This is our guide, Amnon. Became great friends with Amnon, who's really been able to cover a lot of ground with him. He is a Jew that was born in Israel in 1942. He was six years of age when they uh, declared their independence. He lived as a child through the Revolutionary War. He's lived there through all the wars, through the uh, 67 War, the Six-Day War, through the Yom Kippur War in 73. He's a brilliant archaeologist, and it's wonderful to kind of quiz him and ask him questions and to get his mind to think. Uh, we preached at many locations, not unlike a tour group, we actually go there and preach and hand out Yedidim of Israel materials. And Jews will come and listen to us preach, and other travel groups will come and listen to us preach, because most people just go and look at the sites. But we actually set up shop and actually have preaching services there. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I had the privilege of preaching on the Mount of Beatitudes. And by the way, when I preach there, it's not to the bunch of Christian preachers. I'm preaching to those Jews. And we talked about some of the things that we've talked about in our study of Matthew, how that Matthew was uh, the presentation of the branch of the King of the Jews. And, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time getting to preach there. Go ahead and go to the next slide. 
the end of the week, I was given the privilege of preaching from the Mount of Olives. And again, we have a little amphitheater here in front of us, about 20 people. And then around the edge, the perimeter, we've got other travel groups and Arabs that are up there because the Mount of Olives is actually in an area that's controlled by the Arabs. This is East Jerusalem. And we preached from Zechariah 9 through Zechariah 14. And Amnon sitting there eating it all up. And let's be praying for Amnon that the Lord will stir his heart. But what a privilege it was to be able to preach to the Jews here on the Mount of Olives. And one of these days, folks, you'll notice here that this eastern gate has been sealed up. And the Muslims have done that. The Muslims have put a cemetery in front of the eastern gate. Why? Because certainly a Jewish rabbi won't defile himself by walking through a graveyard. I've got news for you. Jesus said that gate's going to part. He's coming through. And he's going to sit on that throne regardless of what they try to do to stop it. Go ahead and go to the next slide. We had the privilege. We didn't get a chance to meet with Netanyahu. But we did get a chance to meet with uh, Moshe Ya'alon. Uh, Moshe came and had dinner with us. This was his assistant. These are a couple of our pastors. This is uh, uh, Brother Ed Bragg you saw a minute ago and, and Dan Martin right here. He's an evangelist. Brian Sharp, he's an evangelist. This is Moshe Ya'alon. He is the, uh, will be the executive officer. He will be in charge of the Israeli military. We had dinner with him for about two hours on one night. Had the privilege of sitting next to him, asking all sorts of questions. It's encouraging to know that he's got it together. He knows who the good guys are. He knows who the bad guys are. He knows their intent. There is no desire to peaceful coexistence in a two-state system. He knows that their goal, whether it be Hamas or Fatah or Hezbollah, is the elimination of the Jewish state. It was funny because the next morning we got up for breakfast and on the front page of the Jerusalem Post, you had Moshe alone meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu on the front page. And you'll notice he's wearing the very same outfit that he had. So he had this meeting with Netanyahu and then came and met with a bunch of Baptist preachers. Go ahead and go to the next slide. We went out on the Sea of Galilee, and this is part of what our text is from this morning. We'll be preaching about this this morning. You can see a storm coming in quickly here. We were on this boat here, a pretty good-sized boat, where you could probably get uh, maybe as many as 60 or 70 people comfortably on it. Obviously, it has a motor, so it's able to churn through stormy waters. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. This is what's called the Jesus Boat. This was a great archaeological find that they discovered uh, just within the last decade. It's a 2,000-year-old fishing boat. Was this a boat that Jesus actually set sail on? I can't say that. But I also can't say that this wasn't a boat that Jesus actually set sail on. This was dated from 2,000 years ago from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, So this is at least the type of boat. You could get probably 12, 13, 14 people on this if you jammed them. This is a a mock-up of what it would have looked like. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Dan. There's a model of what one would have looked like. You see the oars. You see the ability here to steer. And they had uh, a single mast generally for a sail to order to expedite their travel across the Sea of Galilee. This will all figure into our story here shortly. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I had to take this shot. The wind came up and was blowing really hard as we got out to sea. We actually experienced a storm here on the Sea of Galilee. Isn't this beautiful? Oh, old glory, the stars and stripes flying up there with the flag of Israel. May those two always be united. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Dan, now let's see if we can go to this. This is Cecil Ballard. Cecil is a preacher. He's actually from Louisiana, uh, but he is now up in Iowa. He has got a great sense of humor and does parodies of Brother Vineyard that you just die over and uh, parodies of uh, Amnon. But go ahead. I just want you to kind of experience the, the sea or the storm at sea out here. Go ahead, Brother Dan, if we can.
Okay, let's go back to the slides. That's Cecil Ballard. He has a tremendous sense of humor. Great, great preacher as well. Cecil laid a lot of the groundwork. While we were up there early, we were able to lead um, Rachel, who was one of uh, uh, Itamar's high school classmates, to the Lord. She was curious. She had she'd been trying to find out the truth, and she came up and spent one night up there visiting with us in the foyer uh, of this uh, little uh, kibbutz that we were staying at north of Kiryat Shimona, and then she came back the next night wanting more. And Brother Cecil spent a considerable amount of time visiting with her, and then he came and got me and Brother Sharp, and we went in there and got into Isaiah 53 and laid it out for her, and she prayed there in that, uh, in that uh, uh, kibbutz to accept Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Go ahead and go to the next slide, if you would, Brother Dan. This beautiful, after this storm passed and we got to land, it was a complete rainbow. I couldn't get the whole thing in the frame, but this was just beautiful sight looking uh, back east across the Sea of Galilee. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Dan. This is the hill, ladies and gentlemen. Over here, you'll see in just a moment, is the ancient city of Magdala. They have a modern community there now. Down, going in this direction, about another half to three-quarters of a mile, perhaps a mile, is the city of Tiberias. It was this hill, somewhere on this hill, that Jesus fed the 5,000. And it was on top of this hill that Jesus went apart to pray after he had put his disciples on the fishing boat somewhere over here towards Tiberias and sent them across the sea here. Go ahead and go to a different slide. This is from up at the top of the hill looking across the cliff. This is the Gennesaret Valley. Uh, that's Latin for Gennesar, which means uh, uh, top garden. This is a very lush, beautiful area, as you can tell. And this is the modern city of Magdala. Mary Magdalene was from this community. The ancient city of Magdala was actually on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Go ahead and go to the next slide. It would have been from up here, perhaps at this vantage point, as Tiberius would have been back this way about a mile. And uh, let's see, uh, uh, Capernaum and Bethsaida would have been right over in this area. So from somewhere back over here, Jesus would have sent them across to here. And then he went up on top of the mount to pray. The Bible says that he looked over the sea and was able to see them toiling in the midst of the sea. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Perhaps it was this slide here. Perhaps it was this view as they were going across here in the midst of this storm. Again, with the fishing boat with full sail, this shouldn't have taken them more than maybe an hour, hour and a half to get there. But they started somewhere in the early evening, perhaps 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock. And then in the final watch of the night, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., they were still out there toiling. Why? Because there was a contrary wind that was blowing against them. And they were just exhausted trying to get to the other side as the Lord had commanded them. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Here we are. You see Tiberius. You see Magdala, this mount where Jesus fed the 5,000 and also went up into the top. Would have been about right here. You see Capernaum. You see Bethsaida. So they would have left about right here and sailed across somewhere into this vicinity. Let's go right there with that slide. I'm going to pray again briefly and we'll get into the message. Father, please bless now as we teach Lord, I pray that you'd sustain my voice through the completion of this message. And I pray that these pictures where our folks can actually see the exact locations where this story, Matthew 14, took place, may it just add color in our minds as we preach the Word of God. We ask that you'd bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible tells us that Jesus had received word that John the Baptist had been 
killed, finally put to death, had his head chopped off by Herod, and that he was grieved over it. He actually had taken time to get away from the multitudes that were thronging about him and sailed across and came to this point on this side of the Sea of Galilee hoping to get away just for a period of time to mourn, to reflect, to pray. And of course, as you can see on a clear day, you can see across the Sea of Galilee, this even being a cloudy day, the multitude saw him passing and they followed around the shores and then met him on the other side. The Bible tells us that Jesus, even though grieving himself, was compassionate upon this group as a group of sheep without a shepherd and says that he taught them. And it says as the day wore on that they were hungered and Jesus asked his disciples, he said, we need to feed this group before we send them away. Of course, the disciples said, Lord, we have no food to feed them with. We don't have any money to buy food with. And Jesus said, get out and do the best that you can. And they got out and they found that amongst that entire group, 5,000 men, the scripture said. So you add to that the women and also the children. There could have been as many as 20,000 people there. And they found a lunch of one small boy, five loaves and two fish. The best they could do, Jesus took it and blessed it and distributed it and fed everybody to their fill. And there were even 12 baskets left over. Not a bit of it went to waste, the scripture says. Well, after this, Jesus sent the multitudes away. And then he took his disciples down to the seashore. And the scripture says that Jesus constrained them or he compelled them. He directed them to get into the boat and to sail across to the other side towards Bethsaida and Capernaum. And that he would join them after some time alone to pray. It was now in the dark of the evening. The Bible says it was towards the last watch of the night, the darkest part of the evening and the disciples were still out there toiling away in the midst of the sea in Mark's account the Bible tells us that Jesus saw them toiling in the midst of the sea for the sea was contrary against them the Bible tells us that in their time of toil and struggle that Jesus went unto them how did he do that did he take another boat no he just decided to go for a walk and he walked across the face of the sea of Galilee Our text said this morning that the disciples, seeing him on the sea, became even more afraid, supposing that things had gone from bad to worse. Not only were they in the midst of this storm at the Sea of Galilee, which we got a small taste of while we were out there, and hopefully you did too from that video, but now not only were they exhausted, having rowed all night against this contrary wind and dealing with this storm, but there was a spirit now approaching them, walking on the water, when Jesus, sensing their fear, cried out and said, It is my, it is me, it is Jesus. Be not afraid. Then Peter made this unusual statement. He said, Lord, if it be you, let me get out of the boat and walk to you. And gently, Jesus simply said, Come. Peter got out of the boat. And walked to Jesus until he became distracted by the waves that were surrounding him. He took his eyes off of the Lord and he began to sink. And he cried out this simple prayer, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out and saved him. Now there are a number of applications that we can draw from this story. Many of which we have preached on before in this church. There is the application of truth that Jesus already knew how he was going to feed the 5,000. Yet what was his purpose? His purpose was to get the disciples to do all that they can do. Not just to sit and rest and wait on the Lord, but to do the best that they could and that God would bless and multiply their efforts. 
There's the truth that God is a God of order and not a God of chaos as Jesus had the 5,000 sit in groups of 50 and groups of 100 in order to handle the crowd and efficiently feed them all without missing even one. There's the, the truth of the disciples growing in faith as they had traveled everywhere with Jesus, seeing Him overcome every obstacle and every challenge, there was nothing too hard for Him to handle. Yet now, they were in a boat all by themselves as they were toiling in the midst of the storm. But what did they find out? That even though they were by themselves, they weren't alone. Jesus was always watching, and right there in the midst of the storm, He was actually, in fact, right alongside with them. There is the truth that, in fact, Jesus is God in the flesh and is not subject to natural law as He created the laws of nature. And not only does He exist within them, but He also exists outside them. There is the truth that although Peter was criticized for having little faith, he was the only one that got out of the boat and walked on the water. There is the truth that Jesus had all the problems of the disciples underneath His feet and Peter had them also underneath His feet as long as His eyes were fixed on Jesus. But when He lost sight of Jesus and began to focus on His problems, they began to overwhelm Him. All of these are true. All are wonderful applications. But today we're going to look at something a little different in this story. In verse 22, the scripture says that Jesus constrained his disciples to get in the boat. Let me ask you a question. What was Jesus' will for his disciples? Get in the boat. Jesus was sending them to the other side of the lake, to the area of Bethsaida in Capernaum, where he would meet them later. Where did Jesus send them, and where did he intend to meet them? To the other side of the lake. How did he intend for them to get there? inside the boat. So let me ask you a question. In the midst of the storm, why did Peter want to get out of the boat? Folks, Peter was impetuous, sometimes speaking before thinking. However, I also believe that Peter had a problem of liking to draw attention to himself. Remember the last night of the Lord's life on this earth before his crucifixion. Jesus had made the statement that all the disciples would forsake him and flee. But Peter said, brashly, well, maybe the rest of these guys won't stand with you, but I'll never abandon you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows twice this evening, you, Peter, will deny me three times. Well, here was this group of disciples toiling in the midst of the sea, rowing with all their hearts for hours now, exhausted but obedient in this contrary wind, when Peter has the great idea to get out of the boat. Hey, Jesus had already said, be not afraid, it is I. Peter obviously believed that it was the Lord, otherwise he wouldn't have gotten out of the boat. Yet he still said, Lord, if it be you, then let me walk to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus had said, get in the boat. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus had said, go to the other side. No one said that the journey was going to be easy. No one said that the storms would not arise. No one said that the wind wouldn't be working against them. But the challenge for you, Christian, is in the midst of the storm, don't get out of the will of God. Don't jump ship. Peter said, or excuse me, Jesus said, get in the boat. Jesus said, go to the other side. Jesus said, in the midst of the storm, be not afraid, it is I. Peter then said, Lord, if it be with you, let me come to you. Sometimes we'll get into the midst of a storm and we'll come up with what we think is a good idea. And at the time, it it seems smart. But we best make sure that our idea is in the will of God. You say, Pastor, but Jesus said, Come, folks, God will allow us to learn things the hard way. 
God, God's ways always work. But if we make a decision to try to do things our own way, He won't stop us. He will allow us to be stubborn and hard-headed. And before long, after we've made a mess out of things, we'll cry out unto Him saying, Lord, save me. And the wonderful thing is that He will. But many times we get awfully wet in the process. Let me share just a few brief words of counsel this morning. In the midst of the storm, ladies and gentlemen, when times get tough, Christian, don't abandon your church family. We may be embarrassed because we're experiencing difficulties within our own families. We may be embarrassed because we're experiencing difficulties with our children, difficulties with our children, thinking that we're the only ones that have difficulties with our children. And pride gets in the way. We may be embarrassed because we run into some financial problems. And there are a lot of people that will be running into financial problems now and in the future. But folks, don't let pride cause you to get out of the boat. There's times where we may get mad at God and decide that we're not going to, we're going to teach Him a lesson by not coming to church. Friends, don't get out of the boat. Christian, the day may come where you're working so hard and you're so busy, you say, Sunday is my only day of rest. I'm going to skip church today. I'll watch Charles Stanley on television, and that'll be good enough. Folks, you'll first grow lax on attending Wednesday night. Then you'll grow lax on attending Sunday night. Then you'll grow lax on attending Sunday morning. You'll miss once, and then you'll miss again, and it'll get easier and easier and easier. Ladies and gentlemen, my Bible says that we have an adversary, the devil, who goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour and destroy. You need this fellowship of Christians in a good, solid church. Paul said to the Hebrews in Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25, said, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We just said a moment ago that the devil goes about like a roaring lion. Who does a lion attack? Does a lion charge into the middle of the herd and go after the strongest of the bunch? No. The lion lurks in the darkness of the shadows behind. And he waits for that straggler to grow weak and get separated and to start to wander off from the security and the safety of the herd. And that's the one that he attacks and devours. The Bible says that we need the fellowship of other believers. Ladies and gentlemen, we need time in the Scripture for growth and instruction. But we also need accountability. We need to look out for each other and to encourage each other and to provoke each other unto love and to good works. Without a strong church, there's not a single one of you that will make it. Myself included. I want to tell you, as so many of you know, it gets old having people write lies about you. And write lies about your family. And place threatening innuendos. But ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of the storm, I will not get out of the boat. You need this church. And you need to be here every time the doors are open. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. And we look forward to being with you next time. For the conclusion of this message, don't jump ship. Until then, may God bless you.
You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.